Welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I am your co-host, Andrew. And I think that the film that we're talking about today is probably one of the most intense visual and aural representations of mental illness that I've ever seen on screen. Uh, I would concur with that statement, most definitely. Um, This is Phil, your other co-host. And uh, for a film that contains some very painful things to watch at an almost nonstop rate. Um, I'm kind of amused that I find myself loving this film so much and, and (laughs) not caring that it's such a bleak downer of a film. It is all of those things. (laughs) That is true. The film that we're talking about is called clean shaven. It's a film directed by lodge Kerrigan. Uh, it's a film that was made in or released in 1993, and uh, it was recommended for the podcast by Aaron, who is returning to us after a long hiatus, I- imposed by us, not by him so much. <laughs> he, he has more outstanding recommendations than I think God. most other people combined. Than <laughs> God, yeah. Even God. Yeah. Um, so say hi to everybody, Aaron. Sup. 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 So we'll, we're going to get to talking about this very, very interesting film in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I just want to tell you how to find us out there in the universe. Firstly, you can go to our website, www.in-the-q, that's the letter Q, dot com. We'll post all of our uh, episodes there. And you can also use the comment section of that blog uh, to uh, let us know if there are any films that you would like to see or leave us feedback on the podcast itself. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, you can also do the same thing on our Facebook page, which you can get to by going to Facebook and searching for in the queue, Q U E U E film conversations with Andrew and Phil. You can like our page there and every new episode will be sent straight to you. Uh, Uh, I mean, it'll come to your newsfeed, I guess. So that's pretty pretty much the same thing. It won't like be delivered into your hands or anything. No, yeah, no, we're not Amazon. Uh, (laughs) And uh, you, you can also leave us recommendations there, and uh, you can be like Aaron and come on the show and talk about the film that you have recommended. Uh, you can also engage us on Twitter. We're at the handle at ITQ Podcast, and we're happy to hear from you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also find all of our uh, episodes posted there, and if you follow us, we'll follow you back. Yep. And finally, you can find us on iTunes by searching for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And you can subscribe to our podcast and every new episode will come straight to your device of choice. Yep. That's that's it. That's everything. Mm-hmm. That's all of it. That's all of it. So uh, we're going to talk about Clean Shaven, the Lodge Kerrigan movie from 1993, starring a Mr. Peter Green in the uh, lead role mm-hmm. and what I would say is a rather magnificent performance yeah in so many different ways uh and i'll give a brief summary even before i ask you aaron why you recommended this film just because it's a pretty straightforward summary yeah Mm -hmm. um the film's more about the experience of his mental illness than it is about pretty much anything else right there's a there's a loose thread running through it that allows us to kind of take hold to a narrative but uh it's not it's not as heavily plotted as a lot of films that we see. So essentially the lead character is a man by the name of Peter winter who has schizophrenia and is trying to get 
his biological daughter back from her adopted family mm-hmm. and is having a difficult time of it, difficult time in the world yeah, being in general. Yeah. Um, and simultaneously there is his condition makes other people very uncomfortable around him, especially in social situations. And there is someone who has been killing little girls or has killed a little girl at the very least uh, in the same area Mm -hmm. that he is searching for his daughter. And so there is kind of a parallel narrative of uh, a detective trying to find out who the murderer of this little girl is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm sure we'll talk about how that resolves itself as we move through this podcast and there probably will be some spoilers. So um, folks who might be interested in watching this very interesting, very excellent film uh, from my opinion, Mm. uh, just know that there are going to be some spoilers later in this podcast. And also I I thought it might be good to to mention that this film is readily available through the Criterion Collection. It is. It is. Um, And you can even rent it on Amazon. There are a number of different... Uh, methods of getting your hands on this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron, why did you recommend this film and why are we talking about it today? Uh, well, uh, we watched it together, I believe, for the first Yeah, you and I. Yeah, yeah. and um, I, the only other... Years ago. Yeah, was, I mean, that's probably... One of the first things that we watched, I think. Yeah, it's like 10 or 12, yeah. probably more than that yeah. at this point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the only other thing I had seen uh, Peter Green in was Pulp Fiction. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I thought that he was ridiculous in this movie. I, I, <laughs> if it had been more well known, I think that he should have been nominated. I think that it should have been nominated for sound editing and you know, mm-hmm. all, all, all you know, a bunch of different technical stuff because uh, it for its budget, it 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 is fantastic. It it packs a wallop. Yeah. For a for a small scale film, yeah, for sure, it, it was actually the winner of the the someone to watch award at the Independent Spirit Awards for that year. So, yeah, it's got, it, it did good. get some notice, but uh, but yeah, Peter Green's performance is really, I mean, singular is like, in my opinion, the the best portrayal of somebody with schizophrenia I've ever seen. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's this movie is so gritty and. Um, this isn't like, you know, like a beautiful mind where you you love the main guy in spite of his illness. In this case, it's just like, uh, I mean, I feel it's compassion rough. for him. It's rough. I feel compassion for the character, rough. but it's like yeah. at the same time you're questioning whether he really is somebody that sh- that we should be rooting for. Well, and see, for me, watching it a second time, this you know, far along in life, where I maybe picked up some of my own neuroses. <laughs> You know, <laughs> your own like, oh well this might be me in a couple of years you know <laughs> let's hope yeah. not so but so yeah. but but feeling i so i i did kind of uh you know maybe feel for him more than even when i first watched it because the first time mm-hmm. it was just like wow this is really great technically speaking but i you know like you said i don't so much feel for him as much as this is just nuts yeah 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 i and i think that that this film because it does such an incredible job of sort of giving you a sense of what it is like for someone with this condition to yeah. exist and the, the, 
things that they hear and the things that they see and the uh, the sort of paranoia that they may have yeah. is so overwhelming. And it's such an it's such an emotional experience to watch this film. Mm-hmm. It's such an overwhelming emotional experience to watch it's this film. It's actually interesting because the, the parallel I drew from it was like, uh, you know, uh, the Marvel character Daredevil. Like, mm. like his senses are overloaded almost all the time. Yeah, Spider-Man, yeah. but this is like real people have to actually deal with this, and unfortunately, they don't have the superpowers to compensate for it. Yeah, it's not something that they can kind of easily incorporate into a suave right. persona yeah. that they can then, you know, use to navigate the world just like a, yeah. a, a an able person. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, this is a debilitating illness for most people who have it. Right. Um, I actually, yeah, I actually so. feel like the the movie does a good job of not just being a story about a character who has schizophrenia, but the movie itself is schizophrenic. Um, yeah. Because um, even the subplot about the detective who's hunting him down is yeah. has a similar kind of bizarreness to it. Um, maybe because like we we don't get a lot of context about this detective. Like all of a sudden yeah. he's just chasing after the, the yeah. main character. And uh, and the 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 inner turmoil that Peter Winter is experiencing in the film gets exteriorized heavily with the sound design and with yeah. the disjointed mm-hmm. visuals. And so much of, of the film is covered in uh, like extreme close-ups. Yeah, like, almost almost yeah. entirely. When when you're looking at him as a character, it's almost entirely shoulders up right yeah. and when he gets coffee we see extreme close-ups of the coffee we see extreme close-ups mm-hmm. of the newspaper he wraps around the side mirrors on his car well i thought it was a great juxtaposition when he's getting the coffee like all all the sound around him just goes away because he's focused on this singular task so much yeah yeah and yeah. he can hear the construction going on next to him yeah that's actually i think perhaps one of the most brilliant examples of the sound design because the way that scene is, is covered is there's a wide shot of him putting the cre- the uh, sugar in the coffee, and we see a backhoe in the distance, and that uh, contextualizes the sounds that we hear. We hear the sounds of mm-hmm. machinery and movement, but then when we get to the shots of, the, the, of him putting the sugar in the coffee, just as he said, all the audio, other than the sounds of the sugar packets, disappears. And yeah. then, boom, it cuts back to a wide shot, and boom, the sound of the backhoe is back. Yeah. And um, it's just, other than Eraserhead, I think these are the two most meticulously designed uh, sound designs that I've ever seen in a film. I would also put the straight story in that category. Another David Lynch film. Nice. I need to re. I need to rewatch that. It, it has extraordinary sound design. Yeah. Just absolutely incredible. But yeah, and and one of the major aspects of the film that's really lauded is the fact that. When he's traveling in this car, because in a way this is kind of a twisted road trip movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's all these shots of the of the high tension wires, of the telephone poles flying past as he's driving, and we hear like what sounds like different frequencies of a radio. We hear people talking. We hear yeah. white noise. Well, and even even sounds coming from the newspaper that he uses to board up his windows, like the the news stories are coming alive to him. Right. And, yeah, he's giving them personalities. Yeah, and mm-hmm. these are all you know. We can you can contextualize these as the voices he's hearing, the the yeah. inner you know turmoil that's going on in his mind constantly, like a radio, and it never ends for somebody with that condition. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, and and I remember when when I went back to watch it because Aaron, the last time I watched this film was when we watched it together, however many yeah. many many years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the thing that I could remember so very distinctly was the constant police sirens. Yeah, that he hears, he hears but, but, but there. there's clearly no there's no police there, and it just it, I remember it being oppressive hearing that every time he's driving just hearing that constant police siren maybe not every time but at least several times in the film yeah, yeah, yeah you're hearing this police siren that's just ever present while you're hearing these other frequencies of noise and white noise and and uh and broadcasts that are you know all overlapping and it's just such a like it's such an oppressive yeah it's feeling. It, it would, yeah i mean it's, a, it's just like his character feels as though he's always uh, continuously doing something wrong just yeah. By, yeah by just existing yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is horrible. Yes. And there's yes. actually there's something really kind of um, infuriating if you think about it. In at near the beginning of this film, where they the uh, the filmmaker leaves it to question, did Peter uh, beat up this little yeah. girl who was yeah. who was nearby when he was when he he breaks into a car and he's about to drive off, and then this girl appears. He gets out of the car, and then we hear her. Screaming, and I think you even hear sounds of like beating something, yeah, something, something being and, hit. But, yeah. but we we don't we always see are just empty spaces on that street block, and then he gets in the car and drives away. So we we don't know what exactly happened. Well, and and further complicating it is the fact that he drives maybe thirty or fifty feet and watches as there's somebody like standing in a doorway or standing in an alleyway watching him go past. Yeah. But that person's not in a panic. That person's not rushing to help a little girl. None of that stuff. So he, 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 it's a situation where if things had transpired exactly how we imagined in our minds, I think it's, you know, I think it's kind of we leap to. I think the, the the director. It's it's one of those situations where the director kind of just expects people to react a certain way uh, because yeah. because we're, I mean we have hindsight. But if you're just watching for that, I, can't, I mean I can't remember when we watched it for the first time. But you're probably like, oh well, this guy's fucked up. He probably did something. Right. Well, yeah, probably and, and did he, something, and, and that's yeah. how he feels about himself too. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 of course, that provides the sort of central thrust of the story is that we don't know if he's done something. So this sort of very loose detective it's, pursuit yeah. kind of narrative mm-hmm. is heightened by the fact that we we think that this guy's capable of anything. It's, it's almost it's almost like the ultimate voyeuristic film. Yeah, because you're looking inside his you're, mind. You're, you're looking inside of him while 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 you're outside of him at the same time. Yeah, and 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 because we're looking through his eyes and we're experiencing the film through his experience, we don't know what's actually happened. Yeah, that's why I. Crazy. Yeah, that's why I say the movie itself is schizophrenic because yeah. it's not on the same. It's not on the level. It's not on the level of a reality that the people who come in to see it are going to be on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, but it's just such a triumph, though, of of frankly low budget, uh, innovative American filmmaking. It came from a period where there was a vanguard of this particular movement. Slacker had just come out. Pulp Fiction was yeah. about to come out. It was a real kind of you know rejuvenation of American cinema. And this movie, it's 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 a modest film. It's a humble film. It doesn't have a lot of intricate, you know, camera movements. Uh, but what it does have is a very kind of clear concept of what kind of story it's trying to tell. 
and and it allows these flourishes of camera movement and and composition especially yeah. to suggest like that this guy is basically trapped um a lot of the the shots of peter's character which also named peter is he's he's just kind of enclosed he's very rarely in a wide open space where where he can breathe he's always kind of mm-hmm. trapped mm-hmm. somewhere but, yeah and if he is and, in an open space he's hurrying to another enclosed space true yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, or or when he is in open spaces, it presents danger. Yeah. Usually, there's usually a dangerous element mm-hmm. uh, when he's in an open space. Anytime it pulls back and it gives like a wide shot, I'm thinking, for instance, when he's in the library, yeah. right? He's researching, and every time it pulls back and gives you a wide shot, that shot is filled with people who are looking and watching and questioning and fearing. Yeah him because of his behavior yeah and the that scene in the library uh, is a key scene uh when i was in grad school um my my professor gary hawkins who was on the show once upon a time mm-hmm. uh, he showed yeah. us that library scene from the film as an example of for lack of a better term good filmmaking and we we mm-hmm. walked through the scene and we sort of analyzed why it worked and um the first shot of the library scene is of Peter's fingers, which are long, skinny, almost like E.T. fingers that are kind of like <laughs> scanning over the, the, the cards, the card stacks. And, yeah. and we hear voices. And it's know, almost like voices... it's, the way it's presented is almost like he's blind. Yeah, that's it's the way it's yeah. directed. so much over the different categories. And, mm-hmm. and, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's, it's really subjective because... Uh, it's so close in on those card stacks, and we hear the we hear the the running, you know, spiel about what could be written on the cards inside, or it could just be other random voices. And those close up shots of him as he's hunched over in that really weird state, those are all totally subjective. When it cuts to the wide shot, Andrew, when we see what other people are seeing, mm-hmm. all of that white noise disappears, and yeah. you just hear yeah, yeah. the silence of the library, and then his weird scraping and mumbling and, and, and that's and, an example of like when yeah. we actually see it from from the the outsider's viewpoint yeah and mm-hmm. those the self the self-violence mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's banging his head against the stacks yeah, yeah. you know it's it's really distressing yeah mm-hmm. um yeah and uh, you know we we mentioned at the beginning about how sort of relentless this is and i think that that's a key. I mean, it's a short film. It's only what, like eighty-two minutes or something. Like yeah, seventy-nine. Seventy-nine yeah. minutes. Yeah. And so it's a short film, but I mean that that sort of relentless pace just dogs you as the viewer throughout the film, and it never really lets up. It, in those in those key moments, because it's so subjective, because we're inside the mind of Peter and we're living his life, and we do care. I think just as other human beings yeah. <laughs> concerned for this man's well-being. Um, when when we do get to those points where it does like take a moment to breathe and it, it sits outside and looks from external viewpoint or cuts to the detective mm-hmm. as he pursues or anything like that, there's still just this sort of ever-present kind of fear and... and dread. Dread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's because so... in, in those moments, he doesn't have control. Essentially, we, yeah, yeah. The movie has taken control again, and mm-hmm. you, you're, yeah. And I would actually say that the 
private detective character serves to make us empathize with Peter even more. I would say so because too. Because the yeah. private detective, you kind of dislike him. He's he a dick. he seduces <laughs> Peter's ex-wife, like yeah. Like, once they meet, like and and he is kind of a dick, and and you're concerned for Peter's safety, and um, you do kind of sympathize with the guy, and and I I even I as you're wondering that, whether or not he's a murderer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know if I ever really thought that he was a murderer though. I kind of felt like he just it was kind of like the film was sort of like the raw indie precursor to I Am Sam, you know, like he just wants to be with his daughter. Like he's like he he may not be the best dad, but he he cares. And then at the end of the film, when when he's gone, spoiler alert, and then um, his daughter is trying to communicate with him via radio, uh, yeah, which is the most appropriate way to do it because he's been so attuned to radio frequencies the whole film. Well, and he even says, "I've got a transmitter in my finger and my." head yeah you know yeah. and that's how they've been feeding me messages and he there's this excruciating absolutely horribly painful scene <laughs> where he actually pries back his fingernail and digs out what he think is a, a receiver of his fi- out of his finger he just takes a, a pocket knife and yeah. pries back his fingernail and it's just it's brutal it's absolutely and, brutal well, it, it, it's the companion to the scene in the shower yeah, when he's, he's he, got the scissors and he's cutting open his scalp. Yeah. yeah. And those moments like that are, I think, pretty believable. And the reason mm-hmm. why he doesn't react in, in pain and horror when he's doing that is because the the sensation of peeling his fingernail back is serves as a distraction to him yeah. from yeah. all the voices yeah. in his head and all the things that are causing him a lot of real anguish. Yeah. It's yeah, a different kind yeah. of pain, so it's a reprieve. Yeah. Yeah. I know I know, Phil, that you have made at least one film about mental illness mm-hmm. and uh the sort of therapeutic benefit of art. Yeah. Uh in the context of that. So you you probably have uh, a better perspective on people who are living with these kinds of situations than a lot of people. Do. I've met a lot of people who have mental illnesses like schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, which is kind of mm-hmm. like that. And I myself am bipolar with which, with a touch of psychotic component, but uh, <laughs> but don't worry, I'm heavily medicated, so everything everything will be fine. I'm still qualified to co-host a podcast, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. But the point is, I know a lot of people who who have heard voices, who've been mm-hmm. psychotic, and uh, this movie is just seems so so real and so authentic that I, I honestly feel like anybody who's who has schizophrenia um would love it and i kind of want to share this with some of my friends who who have similar experiences i mean um because i think it would be cathartic for them yeah th- this was your first time viewing it right phil actually i'd seen it before um, oh yeah really? I, I i suggested that he watch it Oh well, I knew that. I just this didn't was, know if you'd watched this it. This was my second time, but um, hmm. but I still got a lot out of it, and um, yeah, I think it's, it's yeah, I think it, it's it holds important. up on repeat viewings. It really does, and it's not dated. Well, it is kind of dated in the sense that well, movies like the cars happen. they drive and stuff. Yeah, but not sure. just that, but kind of like the the sensibility of it, the film stock. Maybe there's something about it that really does feel like it's rooted in the early '90s. 
But I also mm-hmm. feel like that adds to uh, the feeling the feeling you get from it because, it, like, if it was a higher budget movie, you wouldn't have gotten the same outcome. I feel like it feels like, you know, it would be like David Fincher without a budget. Yeah. Like if they gave him twenty thousand dollars and said, "Go make a good movie," this is what he would come up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or like right. or like Martin Scorsese movies that were that were really yeah. gritty and focused on people from. The early ones, yeah. More areas. Um, but yeah, I think this this movie is, um, it's a it's a kind of a masterpiece, and the the editing is really brilliant. Not just the sound design, but the editor was Jay Rabinowitz, who hadn't made a lot of films. He had made one film with Jim Jarmusch, and then I think something else. But he later went on to edit more Jarmusch films for one, but also be the principal editor on a lot of other really important movies. And I think that uh, in in the hands of another editor, this movie could have been like a total mess. But yeah, oh yeah, but it was so skillfully done. Yeah, I I mean, probably the key example that I can think of, which is probably one of the most brilliantly edited films that I have ever seen in my life, is Requiem for a Dream. He did that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which which is just like a miracle of editing, and I can't even believe that it wasn't nominated for film editing or sound editing or any uh, that was that year was a crime against requiem for a dream yeah <laughs> yeah Alan Burstein. yeah i know that's your your particular <laughs> fuck worst, you julia worst roberts is, oh yeah that was the year <laughs> baron <you>. brockovich <laughs> yeah that was the fuck yeah you. yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I and i was looking over the the awards that this movie has won and um, mm-hmm. I was I was actually kind of heartened to see that it did get some attention um, from various places. But Lodge Kerrigan, he never quite made good on the promise of this film. Um, but he did he did a few. I mean, Keen is uh, another film starring Damian Lewis, uh, most famous, of course, for his well, more recently, I guess, for Homeland. But yeah. before that, for Band of Brothers um, as Lieutenant Winters. And uh, that's another tale about a man with schizophrenia who loses his daughter in Port Authority bus terminal, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Um, And it's, I have not seen it, but it's supposed to be magnificent. It's supposed to be an extraordinary film. He's also directing the new, the girlfriend experience, the TV show. He is. Yeah. Right. right. That's true. He's been doing a lot of TV work. Um, So he is working, which is. But you're just saying that you would have expected more. Uh, I guess I would have expected like a, a movie that I would have heard of or seen since then. Uh, sure, but, sure. But really, congrats, man. I mean, he's he's working in the industry. That's more than mm-hmm. a lot of people could say. True, uh, very true. But yeah, I think yeah, this movie is is a real delight, and the DVD has um, a really good uh, video essay about the sound design too. So um, mm-hmm. anybody who who maybe watches a film and and kind of gets wrapped up in the story and doesn't really see the the aesthetic aspect can sort of get like a nice little tutelage from this video and sort of mm-hmm. appreciate it mm-hmm. even further. Yeah, that's always. I mean, that's what the Criterion Collection really is mm-hmm. amazing at doing. It's really like fleshing out your knowledge of a film. It's. I, I was talking with a friend the other day, and I was talking about 
audio commentaries and how much I enjoy listening to audio commentaries. And he was like, I've listened to like two audio commentaries and they were both garbage and I didn't want to listen anymore. And I'm like, well, what were you listening to? Were you listening to the audio commentary for neighbors or something? I was think I was that friend who said that. No, you were not. <laughs> not that not this conversation that I had. Okay. This was a deeper one. I think it was with my friend Jeffrey at work. Okay. Um but uh, oh no, maybe it, maybe it was with you. <laughs> no, go ahead, finish your story. <laughs> no, because because I I had mentioned the unbearable lightness of being and how good that audio commentary was, yeah. and you were like, yeah, oh, uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like director's commentaries are often the director isn't really engaged in like the fact that he has sure. he has this like, avenue to really say some very interesting and, and relevant things. Like sometimes they just sort of seem to slowly get into watching the film and they give the most banal mm-hmm. anecdotes that really are not interesting to listen to. Yeah, just like what happened on set that day. Yeah, yeah. and I like to hear more about... Plus, I also feel like if I'm going to watch a film, if I, if I, if I want to see Clean Shaven, for example, I'm not going to want to watch it with somebody talking over it the whole time. <laughs> it's rare that I will want I to sit that. down and watch a movie and not hear the movie, but hear a, a couple people talking. I'm now I'm now remembering what the genesis of this was. It was me talking about the Roger Ebert commentary on Dark City. That's what it was, and how good that was. I remember I remember this whole conversation now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, the Criterion is probably Hot Fuzz because Tarantino does commentary with him on that, and it's oh, nice. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet that is good. Yeah. Yeah, solid. Um, so yeah, I cannot recommend Clean Shaven highly enough. I think it's a really unique and extraordinary film for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's clear that I think everybody on this panel today feels the same way. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a good sort of alternative viewpoint from movies like A Beautiful Mind, which... Um, I don't know if Lodge Kerrigan has a background in mental illness or not, or if he knows people, but he seems to have captured what it feels like, I mean, to a T. Like, mm-hmm. it just seems, yeah. it's it's really dark and bleak, but you know what? That's kind of what That's it's like. What? I, <laughs> if I was a high school teacher, I would show this to my kids. Like, mm-hmm. if I was, like, a, an English teacher, you know, like, at the end of the year, the last week of school, when we show movies, I would show Clean Jam yeah. into my class. And record yeah. dream. <laughs> <laughs> it was that was like the one movie when I worked at a, a boarding high school. That was like the one movie that was banned. It was like it was like underground and it was making the rounds. People would watch it. And Is that how you I'd saw it? it? No, I saw it in the theaters oh, when it okay, came yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> but I but the kids, I was working there and the kids were like passing around copies of Requiem for a Dream, and I would have to go in and be like, okay. I don't want you to stop watching, but you have to stop watching. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Better than watching, like, you know, something else that's not sure. art. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that is our podcast on Clean Shaven. Aaron, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while. We'll try to have you on again more in the next year, rapidly than we do. <laughs> hey, that hey. list. Yeah, we gotta we gotta plow through that list. That's for sure. Um, please join us for our next episode when we will be talking about uh, Sing Street, 
mm-hmm. the new film by the gentleman who brought us Once and Begin Again, which we did on this podcast. That's right. We 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 didn't have very nice things to say about that movie. <laughs> uh, I liked Begin Again, but you. Oh, didn't. that's true. That's true. You liked it much better than I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it should be an interesting conversation, especially since it's getting rave reviews. Yeah, it's getting really, really good notices. So I'm I'm very intrigued and I'm very interested in seeing it. So join us for that, and we will catch you next time. See you then.